I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Tim Freak. Tim is an internationally respected authority on world spirituality and a pioneering philosopher who has written well over 30 books that have established his reputation as a scholar and free thinker. Tim has been exploring the deep awake state since he was 12 years old, and he now guides others directly to the deep awake state at retreats that he leads around the world. He is the author of 35 books translated into more than 15 languages, including an Amazon top six bestseller and the book of the year in the UK Daily Telegraph. Today, we're going to discuss his latest book, Soul Story, Evolution and the Purpose of Life, published by Watkins Books and appearing in bookshops on the 18th of April. Welcome, Tim. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, you know, when your book galley came in and I read the title, I was rather skeptical. But as I leafed through it, I became quite intrigued and hence invited you on the show. I finished reading it in a deep dive over the last few days, and I must say that my head is spinning. It's going to be a mighty challenge to do it justice in just one hour. So my hope is that we can just intrigue our listeners enough to go and read it for themselves. So let's start why you think that this new book is your most significant one to date? Well, as you said in your very uh, kind introduction, I have written a lot of books, and in the last period of my life, it's been about trying to articulate a new form of spirituality for the 21st century, because I'm a great believer, as probably is there from the subtitle of Soul Story, in evolution, in that everything needs to keep moving and changing and improving. And we see that in all of human culture, and I don't think spirituality is any different. It also needs to keep evolving and uh, meeting new challenges. And one of the big new challenges we face today is how uh, we can bring together our spiritual wisdom with our scientific knowledge in a way that doesn't um, diminish either. And, and I think to do that, it requires a shift in how we see both science and spirituality. I think to, to really enable it to happen, and it's one of the great projects of our time, um, then we need to um, find a, a way which, which is a, a new way, which, is, which actually can meet the, the genuine challenges, bringing these two very disparate ways of seeing reality together. So it's my most significant book because I think it's my biggest challenge, and it's my contribution to that. I mean, my, my sense in the U.K., and, and, and it may be different in, in the U.S., but my sense in the U.K. is that the intellectual mainstream, if you like, you know, the, the, the general, the culture which you see on TV, the culture which is dominant, has really taken on a very bleak worldview. The, we understand reality, we understand our lives through the stories we tell. And the story which has become dominant in, in, around me is a interpretation of science which is incredibly powerful and, and, and tells us huge amount about the nature of the universe. I, I have immense respect for it. But the under the small print is it leaves you in a world which you're told exists for no reason, uh, living a life which will end in oblivion, uh, living uh, without any purpose. 
And I think as that per- permeates into our culture and becomes kind of accepted, and often in, in the mainstream, to, to say anything else would be irrational, or you'd be wishful thinking, or would be like woo-woo. And so my desire was to come back with something which could endorse the strong spiritual intuitions which I have, not as woo-woo, not as something which is uh, irrational, but is something which deserves real intellectual respect and which you can hold your, your head up and go, look, here's a new story which explains the nature of reality, which includes what we find about science and our spiritual intuitions. Well, I was impressed at how rational and methodical your exposition was. It really does take the reader step by step and allow this um, this really mind-blowing new vision to um, develop over the course of the book. Can we start perhaps? Yeah, go on. I just wanted to say how pleased I am that you found that. You know, my my, my aim is, as, as you've obviously seen, you know, this, this is a deep story. It is a philosophical book. But I wanted it to be accessible to anyone. I wanted it to be something which people could ground in their own experience so that we could see that, that really thinking about these deep questions is an exciting adventure which leaves you in a new world. It isn't something abstract. It isn't something just for people living in ivory towers. It's actually to do with as is obvious, I hope, by the end of the book, it's how, how we experience our, our own individual journey through life. I think it would be not an exaggeration to say that it's not an exciting adventure. It is the exciting adventure. Because one of the things that we see playing out on the world stage, of course, is the bloody result of misunderstandings of what religion is all about, what we are all about. And people, uh, I don't have to belabor that point, but you lay out such a plausible case for a greater view for looking at how we are indeed united because we've heard all of these concepts and, and you bring in the concepts from the public culture throughout the book and explain what your view is, what the integral view is. And that's what I find so inspiring, really. Um, I was going to say, can, can you start with sort of the foundation, you know, the, the yeah. different levels of soul? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe I should just step back just a, a, even further than that and just, and just talk about what I perceive to be the problems or the issues which I think in the 21st century we need to address if we're going to have a new philosophy, which is, you know, for me personally, this is a personal thing as well. It's, my, it's what I want to offer to others because that's what I can give, but it's also that I myself have been looking for something, and it's been a labor of love over many years on my own journey of exploration. And what I find for myself is I have these, ever since I was a kid, you said it in the bio, you know, I've had these powerful awakenings which feel like the most real and important experience in my life. Everything does, it doesn't feel woo-woo, it feels more real. It feels like I'm seeing into the very nature of reality in a deeper level than I do in ordinary states. But what I get from them is so powerfully optimistic 
there's a sense of the deep goodness of life. There's a sense that this journey we're on is incredibly meaningful, um, that there's a magic to life. And most people experience that, you know, all the synchronicities and the story of life. And, 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 and so I've got that on the one hand. But on the other hand, I'm a 20th century man with the knowledge of science, which we have now. And I have to be able to look at that and go, how can there be a purpose to life when we now know there was 180 million years of dinosaurs? Because, you know, it's a fun example, but it's just absurd. It feels absurd. How could, how could there be a deep purpose with that? How can there be a deep purpose that, that, that underlies everything that's happening to me when we know so much about physics now, which suggests this cause and effect reality? So these are the deep challenges which I think we can either just not look at them and just go, well, I choose this. Or if we want to integrate our, our culture into one thing, we have to be able to do it. And that's what I've set out to do. And, and I, I guess the, the very simple, essential idea that underlies what I've done is to take this modern myth, really, this story of, of evolution. And to me, it's the key. And it's an incredibly inspiring story because it's the, it, it's, science has taken it and created this narrative of 13.8 billion years, which we've gone from the beginning of time, the Big Bang, moment zero, right the way through to this moment now. And it's been a process through which everything has emerged into being. There wasn't something, and then there became something. It's a creative process, and, and science certainly sees it that way. So what I want to suggest is that it's led to this experience you and I are having of psyche. Or, I mean, the word psyche is the ancient Greek for soul. That's why the book's called Soul Story. That we are we're experiencing right now something called psyche or soul. In other words, we're experiencing a body in the world of sensation. And then we're also connecting in a non-material space of the imagination of the psyche. We take it for granted, but it's the most extraordinary thing that we're having these two completely different experiences, one of body and one of soul, all the time. And, and a great example of that, which you can get immediately, is that in, in the world of the senses, actually I'm just making funny sounds with my mouth, which are going into the phone and reaching through the electronics and then coming through the speakers and into everybody's ears, and they're hearing those funny sounds. But what they hear as well is meaning. But the meaning isn't in the funny sounds. There's no meaning in the sensual world. The meaning is in soul. That's in a non-material world. Meaning doesn't exist in matter. It exists in another dimension altogether. And we're experiencing that right now and all the time. Now, science would say that uh, everything has evolved and that the last thing to evolve is psyche. But it's done in a way which goes, first of all, we got the evolution of matter, which took most of the time. For billions and billions of years, we saw the evolution of solar systems, chemicals, molecules, all of that, into vast, complicated forms of existence. And then from that, at a certain point on our little blue planet, something brand new happened, and life occurred. And that was a, a, it emerged for the first time, the first living organism, single cells. And then they evolved into 
more complex cells. Yeah, oh. part two. Actually, that's a gr it was a great little segue. And, and as I heard the music coming in, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be fun. Because we've got from <laughs> this, this gigantic story of 13.8 billion years, you know, it's come up from matter to life, and then from life to soul. Soul has arisen from that. And there's no debate about that, I think, in, 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 that science would say that. But what is different is what I'm saying is that all of the qualities which we experience through spirituality have emerged with the evolution of soul. So the big shift that I'm suggesting is that we don't, we, 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 the, the soul, the qualities of the soul, the meaning, and also the immortality of the soul are things which have emerged through the evolutionary process coming into this soul dimension which we're experiencing now and which if you do spiritual practice you can go off into and explore that these things have emerged through the process of evolution and that rather than being two things they're one thing they're the deepest possibilities and that the whole of the universe is the realization of potentiality on a deeper and deeper and more emergent level and that is still happening today and it's happening in you and I, making our soul journey. That's what that is. It's the realization of deeper and deeper potentials. Indeed, it feels like evolution is speeding up like a flywheel, going ever faster and faster. Yeah, because we're going deeper and deeper. And mm -hmm. so the challenge is, how can we... Uh, harness that movement towards greater depth, greater goodness, that the goodness is something we're heading towards. So that sense of profound, that sense that life is fundamentally good, which many people I know I do experience in the deep wake state, is because that's what's calling us. That's the thing that w wants to be realized in, in ever greater ways. And we're doing it. You know, for all of the for all of the horrors of our modern world, and there's lots of them, we've, you know, as an historian myself, I just know how far we've come. We've made, you know, things have never been better, actually, in, in a huge number of ways. The, because of that evolutionary process, which we've, I've seen it in my own lifetime, and each one of us is a part. So what I'm suggesting is, you know, it, the, the, the scientific story of evolution, it began with Darwin, who, who came up with this idea that, that life had evolved, that, that uh, species had evolved. And then a hundred years ago, we got the idea of the Big Bang. And then we saw that the whole universe had evolved. And there was a, there was a period before there was life. And that huge period of evolution, that had a different mechanism. It was, there was no genes, there was no natural selection. That arose during the biological phase. And what I'm suggesting is that there is actually a third soul phase of evolution, which has emerged from the life phase, just like the life phase arose from the matter phase. And it has its own evolutionary pattern. And that is the pattern which spirituality has always been studying. And that involves the process of um, life and death and incarnation. It involves the soul, the thing which is not in matter. And that's not a spooky thing. That's, we're experiencing that right now. That's, there's no mystery about that in the sense that we know it because we are it. We're, you and I are communicating from that place right now. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. comes into and out of this, and that is the next level of evolution, which has arisen from matter and then life and then soul. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I'm trying to explain things very quickly here. <laughs> but I'm One giving it a go. One of the concepts that I found helpful was your description of each 
uh, subsequent level of evolution uh, integrating the level be beneath it as, yeah. as we evolve. Um, you called it uni... Unividuation. There's lots of new words, yes. isn't there, in the book? And I had to create these new words. I had to because it was because there was no word for these things, and yet the concept needed to exist. So you can see that there's this process which goes on constantly in life, whereby um, many strands of life combine into something greater. So I'm a as a body, I'm lots of cells, and at some point. What started off as single-celled organisms have evolved into multi-cell organisms so that they've unividuated, come into something bigger. And you can see evolution as this constant process of things individuating, becoming more and more themselves, different species, different flowers, different chemicals. And then at a certain point, they unividuate. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to think there was once no water, but, it's, but there was a moment where hydrogen and oxygen combined for the very first time to form H2O, and water existed for the very first time. And that's our universe. Everything existed for the very first time. At some point, it emerged. It came into being. That something that was potential became actual. And we've seen that in this huge period with matter, and then this long period with life, and this led to, to us and all of the other forms of life, and now it's all happening in soul. So what we're seeing now is the evolution. Where is it going? It's happening in culture. Well, culture expresses itself in the world, but it's not really in the world. It's ideas. And you can see that with the Internet revolution. It's all ideas. And it's moving very, very fast because they can evolve very, very fast. So the evolution is now all happening in soul. And, and part of that evolution is the stories we tell about reality. And if we've got bad stories, it leads to problems. And if we can have good stories, it can really accelerate the evolutionary process. And that's why, as a philosopher, it feels like, hey, guys, we need a good story here. And we need a story which can allow us to own those deep spiritual insights. Such, For instance, a big one for me, I think, is uh, my experience is that death is not the end. Right, that's my mm -hmm. experience around people who are dying. I've worked with people who are dying. I've been with lots of people who are dying, but my parents died recently. And my experience for, is very strongly that, that death is a transition and that this experience, this immaterial presence that I am in soul can survive the death of the body, which I am at the moment. Now, if you take the dominant view, that is just simply irrational. It's impossible because from the scientific perspective, as it's understood at the moment, the soul, the psyche, is just a kind of byproduct of the brain. They don't, no one understands how that could be true. But that's the idea. Now, the other alternative, the, sp the normal spiritual tradition, is that, no, you're an eternal something, which has always existed, and fallen into this world where you're suffering, and it's all a big mistake. You've, you know, it's a, you've caught up in an illusion, you've been punished, something bad. I'm suggesting an alternative to both of those, something much more positive, which goes, I don't think either that's right. I think the whole process is evolving into deeper and more emergent states so that the soul has emerged out of this but now exists of itself. And that rather than having fallen and life being a mistake, life is the beautiful vehicle which, from which we are arising towards something ever greater. In fact, you called it emergent spirituality. 
and it that's the name I ended up giving the the philosophy <laughs> because it, it felt like I got to give this a name, and I thought, well, right. It feels like what I'm saying is that spirituality has emerged from these other lower states. And, so one, and what that allows me to do, it allows me to go, look, the reason that we had 180 billion years of dinosaurs is because at that stage, the process was mostly random, just as, as science would claim. Because at that stage, there was no, the soul hadn't yet to emerge. Things were functioning on a purely biological level uh, and not a very sophisticated one, really, comparatively to what came afterwards. So that you've got things moving around, fumbling in the dark, as it were. Because, you know, that's why it took a huge amount of periods for all of this to arise. But once soul rises, once that starts to happen, then it starts to really speed up. And that's exactly what we've seen. So that, so that meaning, so the meaning has evolved. So what I'm saying is that everything, meaning, has evolved. Immortality mm-hmm. has evolved. It's come out of this. Um, the magic of life that, that so many of us experience, to me, it feels like, look, this soul dimension in which we experience meaning, the, the dimension we go off into in dreams, in shamanic journeys, in meditation, in death, that is a realm of meaning. Here, in, my, in the world that I'm inhabiting right now in my body, everything is connected primarily through cause and effect. You know, I, if I drop my pen, it falls. But in my imagination, if I drop my pen, it may fly. And when I think of pen, it connects with things which have a similar meaning, not with things which happen to be near it. Everything's connected through meaning, and you experience that in your imagination right now and in your dreams. And people experience it in the after-death state and then near-death experiences. So, so what I'm saying is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out ways to say this, which doesn't sound so outrageous, but I'm saying really, look, the after-death state, which, which people describe, which has itself evolved. Heaven has evolved from this, if you like, to say it in a provocative way. That the imaginary state which we go off into has arisen with the arising of the imagination, which is why if you go back through the history, I wrote a book on the history of people's ideas of heaven, many years ago, and you can see it evolving. You see something which is at first a land of shades, then becoming a reflection of life, like the drinking halls of Valhalla and so forth, and then emerging into these splendid religious visions. And then what we have now is this huge multicultural cities and just vast scapes which people find themselves experiencing. Because I think it's, it's come into existence with the evolving of this state which we're experiencing now, which we, which we call the imagination, and, dis- and don't see its significance, don't see what it really is. Mm-hmm. We have one minute that, before that, our break. <laughs> I, I, I do want to whet your, your listeners' appetite. I don't want to drown them and make them... <laughs> but I want to, I want to, let me just say this. You know, the, 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 it feels like, look, the, that world of dreams is interacting with this world of causality all the time. And that's why we experience life as both sometimes hugely meaningful and then sometimes not. Sometimes just things just happen in a causal way. A lot of realities like that. And then there's this overlay of meaning where things get shaped into a story of your life. And it's not one or the other. It's both, because the deeper thing has emerged from the more primitive thing. 
And that's why, we, mm-hmm. we, that's why right now I'm experiencing primitive matter. I'm looking at my garden or the life, and I'm talking to you in soul, all at the same time. Right. And after the break, I want us to discuss this whole business of collaboration between soul and body and the whole notion of time streams. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) We're speaking with Tim Freak about soul story evolution and no less than the purpose of life. Stay with us and we'll be back. Welcome back. And as promised, Tim Freak is going to tell us about his ideas about time streams, soma streams, soul streams, all kinds of streams. that they were in danger of throwing too many new words out at once. Uh, uh, let's go with time for sure. That's a good one. Um, so the foundation um, in terms of the story that I'm telling, the story of the evolution of everything, that's, I guess, the message. Everything has evolved, including soul, meaning, and magic. That, that what we're in is a process of time. You know I hear people say often, you know, time is an illusion. I, I, I'm sure I've said it myself many, many times. Uh, but, you know, actually, time is what's in front of us. When I look at this moment right now, what I actually experience all the time is a flow of time. There's a flow of experience expanding in time. So I want to suggest that the actual nature of reality is a flow of time and that we, we need to see everything in reality, not as a thing, but as a process. That you and I are processes. We, we've been going, you know, we, we were born and we're moving through. We're processes, but so is my sofa. It's in time. So is the garden. So is the whole planet. Everything is actually unfolding in time. It's, we, it's, we treat it like a thing, as if it was just somehow separate and existence in the moment, but everything's in time. And I call that the time stream. There is a stream of time happening. And then here's the big idea that comes with that. And this really is hugely important, I think. We understand things through metaphors, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. It's unconscious. And the dominant metaphor in our culture is that time passes. As if somehow we're standing outside watching it go away. And, the, and, you know, the future, we don't know what that's going to be, and the past has disappeared, and, and we're just here in the moment watching it disappear. But I'm not sure that that is correct. And I want to suggest that actually time doesn't pass. That's the, it's not a good metaphor. A much better metaphor is that time accumulates, and that there is more time now than there was, there's more past now than there was when we started this conversation that there is constantly the accumulation of the past. As the time stream um, goes forward, actually the past is becoming richer, and that the past hasn't gone anywhere, that the past actually exists implicitly in the moment. Because if, <laughs> if the solar system hadn't formed, then we wouldn't be here. If the Earth hadn't formed, we wouldn't be here. If you hadn't um, invited me to be on this show, we wouldn't be here. If we hadn't had the, this conversation, we wouldn't be here. If I hadn't started this sentence with the word I started it with, the word at the end would make no sense. Everything, from the grandest to the smallest things, everything that's happened is implicit in this moment now. So in what's happening right now is everything that I have ever been is meeting everything that you have ever been. 
And whether we remember it or not, I'm not talking about memory here. Memory is how we re-experience the past in the moment, often in a faulty way, by telling stories about it. What I'm talking about is the existence of the past implicitly in the present. And that the present is the meeting of everything that has been and everything that could be. It's the meeting of the past and the possible. It's the, un it's the expansion of the past into the possible. And that is a very different conception of time. And with it, I think, can come, come a, a huge amount of insight into the nature of this journey, this reality we're in. I must say, I spent hours contemplating dragging my entire past uh, lives and uh, history around <laughs> with me. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I would like to just just gently suggest that rather than seeing, because again, the metaphors we use, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, and, and when you think of being drag, dragging it around, it does sound rather, uh, rather difficult. It's more, I think, like being propelled forward by it. That all of that is the foundation from which we're constantly emerging into this new moment, into this new potentiality. And our challenge is, whatever potentiality is going to come next, and we, because we're conscious and we have choice, we have an effect on that. What's going to come next has to include everything that's been. You can never have a, you know, there's never ever a new moment that doesn't include the moment before. But mm -hmm. we can shape it. And so what we're doing is we're being propelled forward into the possible by time. And because we have imagination, we can go, let's go there. And that allows us to consciously bring into existence more emergent potentials in the world and in ourselves. We can actually choose to engage with the evolutionary process. And instead of just being unconsciously pushed along so it unfolds, kind of just doing what the past did before, we can choose to make it better. And that's what creativity is, and that's our greatest gift. And they talk about time-space, and they talk about an expanding universe. So it would make sense that as time accumulates, it wouldn't push against the boundaries of the universe and create something larger. Yeah, I, I think that's a great insight, actually, what you've just said there, because we already have this idea of expanding time-space. That's, you know, that the, the, from the Big Bang, the universe has been coming, becoming, becoming bigger. Actually, it's not quite right. It's, it's actually becoming less dense. There's no bigness because the universe, nothing to compare it to. But you've got this sense of expansion is a good metaphor. And so I'm saying, look, that's what's happening with time. And that therefore, and this is a big claim, and it's, you know, a lot of things which I, as you'll know from me, read the book, you know, I'm not claiming any special knowledge here. I'm suggesting ways of thinking mm -hmm. for people to contemplate because I think they work. So I, how about trying out this, which is that the universe, as it, as it is expanding, that the universe is made of time. It's made of the past. That's what it's made of. That we, we stop seeing it as a thing which exists in the moment. We see that it's actually always been a process. And everything that has been is the foundation from which everything that could be is coming into existence, which is why we have an evolutionary process. Because all of that accumulation leads inevitably to a greater richness of everything because there's just more of it. So we get, compl we get complexity arising from very simple atoms. We get molecules, and then we get elements, and then, we get, and then also in ourselves. We get this expansion which comes from living a life, having more experience. We become richer. And that's because we have accumulated this, this past, 
which is our, which is what we are, defines who we are. It doesn't limit us. We're not trapped in it because we're always moving into the possible. But we move into the possible based on what we've been before. And the logical extension of that is the whole question of the big G word. Um, what is <laughs> your conception of God? Yeah, well, this is, for me, this is the, probably the most important idea in the book. Uh, and I leave it to the end just because it, it, it's a very big idea. And I'll try and do it justice um, now if I can. Because throughout my life, I've had this experience of um, communing with a being of love. There's just this, this transcendental being of love, and it's a very powerful and real experience and, and, and you know, one of, if not the most important experience in my life, comes in when I'm, when I'm awake. And, I'm, of course, I'm not alone in that. But the traditional picture of God really doesn't make any sense to me. The idea of God at the beginning of time, this perfect being, decreeing the universe, and then going, well, to use my example again, you know, let's take 13.8 billion years before we even get to human beings and soul, and let's spend 180 of it just doing dinosaurs tearing each other to shreds. That's a good idea. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me that this being of love, which is how I experience it, of goodness, is going, oh, and along the way we'll have a history full of the most unspeakable horrors and we'll have a nature which is beautiful, but violent and ugly as well. None of that really fits with the experience I have, and, and that troubles me. And, and I think that's why a lot of people have abandoned the idea of God as just not workable. You know, must be an illusion. I want to make a very bold suggestion for people to contemplate, which is that God is not at the beginning of time, but at the end. That this evolutionary process is constantly leading to the emergence of the deepest potentials. And the deepest potential is what we call God. What with the deepest potential is the being of love. And that, that, hasn't, that doesn't, wasn't at the beginning. That's where this is going. And it's coming into being. And it's there. But we are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are as souls like cells in the body of that transcendent being, like the cells in my body are little parts of Tim's body. We are, there's that individuation that you brought up earlier happening again. Just as you know, hydrogen and oxygen got it together to create water, just as many cells got it together to create the human body, so many souls are communing. When we enter the spiritually awake state, when we enter uh, a place of oneness, we bring into being that transcendental presence, which is which we experience as love, because love is how oneness feels. When you when you enter that place, that sublime. Uh, place, then, then, then it's an experience of love, which is arising from the evolutionary process. How did I do? Did I do okay? Did some of that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> what I really resonated with was the notion that um, as we evolve from the sort of life, animal, soul, psyche um, trajectory, um, we we come together uh, at the level of what you can call God or the transcendent or unity or whatever, and yeah. that is where we, um, I guess, feed feed each other, feed the universe. But then we, you say very plausibly, 
that I guess we want more input. And so we come back into incarnation and there's this this cycle. So explain the symbiotic relationship between um, the human phase and the, the psyche or soul phase. Yeah, yeah. There's, God, there's so much to share, isn't it, and explore. And um, mm. I'm excited to try and do all of it. So, yeah, the idea of psychosymbiosis. Reincarnation is a really powerful idea. It's been around for a very long time, and increasingly it can sound a bit nuts. A bit like, you know, really? You kind of, you were somebody else and then you came back and it all sounds a bit nuts. And yet there's a powerful intuition that I have and many have that it's not nuts. So, again, one of the things I set out to do is try and understand that in a new way. And to understand that through the metaphor of symbiosis, where two organisms, which happens in nature a lot, combine to work together and become one thing for a bit. And I think what we can understand is that the, the presence we are, that we're experiencing right now of psyche or soul has entered a psychosymbiotic relationship with a, uh, an animal, which is my body, and that those two are now functioning together for a bit. And then the, the, the animal, Tim's body, will inevitably die because bodies live and die. That's the, what happens on the life level. On the soul level, they don't. There's no, it's not made of matter. There's nothing to die. So, it, you know, there's nothing, nothing it's, it's not made of that stuff. It's not organic. Mm-hmm. And then we'll come but back they to do what take, <laughs> They do take the experience, they do take the experience that they've accumulated. Uh, it's like yes. a harvest. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, the symbiotic relationship between the soul and the body as, as similar to the way that different organisms in nature have a symbiotic relationship, which is why I think you know, we, do, we do see that the, the action of the body in the brain affects what's in the soul and vice versa. Right now, you know, if, you, if you hit me in my body, I'll feel pain, and that pain will have an effect in my soul and vice versa. I'm thinking these intentions, and that's moving my mouth, and I'm saying these words and passing meaning from my soul into the world and through to you. So I think we, this journey is happening, but the, the, the thing which I would like to, to pick up on is what happens... It's this idea that you said about the way we unividuate into God and, or into transcendent being, if that word is a difficult word, because it comes with a lot of baggage and assumptions. Everything's coming from somewhere. And what can, so what can we say about where the whole universe has come from? What, what was before the Big Bang? What was before moment zero? Well, in one way, it's impossible to say, but what we can say surely is this, that before the universe there was the potentiality for the universe, because the universe has come from it. So what I describe is a, is a vast potentiality, the potentiality for everything that's ever been and ever could be is where everything has arisen from. And one of the, and I'm not the first to, to suggest that by any means, one of the traditional names given to that is the word spirit. And so I've chosen to go with that philosophical tradition. And so what it seems to me is that we're coming from primal spirit. So it's not starting with God. It's starting with pure spiritual potentiality, the potentiality for everything, which is emerging through the evolutionary process as every, all the things that exist. And that it's reaching up through matter, into life, into soul. And the most extreme experience we have of soul is actually in the after-death state when we're no longer in a relationship with, with the body. And, and the other time we get it is when we experience spiritual awakening, which to me is the cutting edge now of the evolutionary process. And what happens when we go into those deep places 
is that we enter into a profound oneness with the very essence of what we are and what everything is. We experience that spirit. And when we do that, when we have a spiritual awakening, that potentiality, which is nothing but the potentiality for everything, when we, when we awaken or when we go into the deep state after death, we, it becomes conscious of itself through us so that we recognize that we are an expression of the oneness of being. And at that point, what's happening, I think, is that we are bringing into existence this transcendent level of being, which is all of, of which we're all like little filaments in that one light. That we're rising up and creating that one light like many little sparks and bringing it into existence. And the more that you and I awaken ourselves to goodness and love, the more that power of goodness and love can play a role in the, in the world because it's, it's being able to uh, arise through us. That's, 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 our, that's what we're doing. That's what this is. It's, a, it's a, a vehicle through which this incredibly deep emergent possibility can come into existence. And you have articulated it very well, uh, and in, in a number of ways, um, as the purpose of, of life, why we're here. Yeah, I put that on the cover, and I did that because I felt naughty, and because I wanted to, well, I, because I, you know, I feel like I've been looking for that all my life, and I got fed up with the taboo. You know, it's like if you say to somebody these days, at least in England, you go, what's the meaning of life? They think you're joking. They think it's funny. <laughs> 42. It has no meaning. It has no meaning. That's a Monty Python film. It's crazy, you know, the meaning of life. But really, isn't that what we all want to know? You know, why are we here? What is this? It's not, I mean, it's not really a joke. It's really the deepest thing you could ask. And what, and what I tried to do in Soul Story is go, yeah, let's ask that question, and here's the answer that it looks to me. Or one of the ways of putting it is that the whole process has been the emergence, the coming into existence of deeper and deeper things. So that what is happening is the arising of more emergent potentials, and that's you and I doing that too as soul. So you are being formed as a soul right now because this conversation is now part of you and will be forever and, and part of me. Every day I am coming into form because I am my past. So every moment there is more of me. I'm shaped in a new way. And then I have the conscious choice. Am I going to just make tomorrow like today and get shaped in the same way? Or could I consciously choose to bring into existence a deeper, more emergent Tim? Could I bring a better Tim to life? Could I find things within me, potentials within me, that I didn't know were there, or, or I know were there, but I didn't, I, I've never realized before? Can I bring the best of myself to life? And it feels like the purpose of life, right from the Big Bang to now, is the emergent and the realization of ever deeper potentials. And we are the cutting edge of that. And the deepest potential is to awaken and bring into existence this being of love. And we do that by, by really committing to the journey of life and, and bringing out the best in ourselves. Because when we bring out the best in ourselves, we play a role in bringing out the best in the whole universe. So you lead workshops on something called Deep Awake. What are they like? I do. I do, because, and that's beautiful, beautifully uh, uh, relevant because that's exactly what I'm saying. Because where this is going to is, look, this awakening, this entering the deep awake state, this is the cutting edge of the whole 13.8 billion years of evolution, and we're, we are it. 
and the, and, the, and the deepest thing we can do is explore these deep awakened states. And they've fascinated me since I was a child. And I've now found various ways through techniques, very simple techniques of connection, that we can, that anyone, and I, I say that with such confidence now, because I've done it with thousands of people throughout the world, anyone can experience for themselves this spiritually awakened state, the deep awake state. They can know that oneness, and most important of all, they can feel that huge, big, big love, which is so big you can't miss it. And it's a, a powerful and transformative experience. You can know the, the essential goodness of life, despite all the suffering, all the, all the terrible things which are there. You can know that it's going somewhere good, and you are part of that. So my greatest joy, is, as well as philosophy, is to share that direct experience. And I, I have the privilege, really, of going around, and I'm, I'm coming to the States, hopefully, it's not announced yet, but I'm hopefully going to come and, and do what I call a deep awakening um, in America in autumn. To the fall, and uh, and I share over a weekend how we can actually experience this, and and it's just a joy because you just see people relax into being who they are, and discovering these immense depths when they contact, they contact their essence, they contact what is traditionally called spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly anything that nourishes the spirit at this time is uh, to be welcomed. We. we need to connect with that, both a sense of the essential goodness of the universe and our potential to manifest it. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it feels, you know, how how do we, every generation has to face new challenges. And to each, you know, and, and and we look at, rightfully in a way, we look at what's bad, because that's the thing we need to change. But we've come so far, and when you see the evolutionary journey, this huge one we've been talking about, but just the evolution in culture, which has led to a world, a transformation, say, of the role of men and women in my own lifetime, a change which would have been impossible at any other time in history. We, we've seen the uh, long periods of peace in Europe, never happened before. We've seen compassion uh, being expressed. We've seen racism being regarded as something bad rather than most of history where it's something good. You know, it's huge, huge changes which we've brought about. And if we can feel the essential goodness calling us, then we can have the courage to engage with that evolutionary process, individually and collectively. And then if we, surely if, you, if history shows anything, it's that, it's that we're capable of anything. We, we, can, we, can, we can meet these challenges and we can create... Well, here's a little idea, maybe that will be sweet, because it, um, uh, it's a little idea, and I know that our time must be drawing to an end. There's a little throwaway line in the book, which I really love, which goes, which is the thought that, that this world of the imagination, if that is heaven, if that is the place where we, uh, where we see the potential, then every time we take a good idea from the imagination and we put it into life, Every time we do that, we bring a little bit of heaven to earth. And if enough of us keep doing that and keep bringing a little bit of heaven to earth, every good idea that we make real, every good idea, it gets better. And that is how we play a role consciously in this magnificent, beautiful evolutionary process. Well, that's certainly uh, positive and, and powerful uh, concept. 
Um, Tim, what is your website? My website is simply Freak. Oh, what's I? It's timfreak.com, but you have to spell freak, F-R-E-K-E. Um, and, you, you know, just put my name in and you'll find me because it's a weird name. Um, and what's on it is loads of free stuff. There is hours and hours and hours of free video and audio. I've recorded meditations you can download for free. You, you can also buy books um, and things like that. But the media stuff is all free. Lots and lots and lots of it. I want, you know, my life is about trying to get these ideas and this experience of Deep Awake to as many people as I can while I'm here. That, that's, that's my whole raison d'etre. And um, the, 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 the website and my Facebook, of course, and all of that is, is a vehicle through which I can reach out and go, hey, try this, try this, try this, and share those things I've found in humility, you know, in knowing that I live in a vast universe of, which is profoundly mysterious. And as the great, the great um, uh, Isaac Newton said at the end of his life, you know, you feel like a, a small boy throwing stones into a vast ocean of truth. And yet, mm-hmm. that's, what we have, that's what we can do. We can share what the deepest things we find with each other, and hopefully that will be of value. Well, I can only commend uh, all of you to go to Tim's website, timfreak.com, F-R-E-K-E. And do get his book, Soul Story. It is such rich food for contemplation. So, Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a delight. Thank you. And I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review, for Happy Guide, for just the the human race. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. God bless. Goodbye.